Welcome to Combo Keepers, where we talk about combo characters, their history, and their impact on our lives. I'm Lance, and today we return for a very special issue of Combo Keepers. That's right, once again, we are going towards that that stranger type of issue because it's spooky season. It's going to be an Elseworld story this day, which means this issue is. Crisis. 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 On Infinite Crossovers. That's right. You didn't have to wait very long, but it is another issue of Crisis on Infinite Crossovers. I am very excited to talk about the story that is the subject of this issue today. But before I even bring up the subject, I need to introduce our guest, uh, someone that I have been excited about all of his work since I met him earlier this year in 2023. What else really is there to say other than welcome the incredibly talented artist, illustrator, Eamon Winkle. Eamon, welcome to the show. Hey, thank you so much for having me. It's, it's, I'm super excited to be here. It's funny because like I've been listening to you for as long as we met. And so to finally be sitting here um, is such a treat. Oh, thanks, man. I, I think we need to talk about really how we we met each other because it it was a blast going to to WonderCon earlier this year but we met each other through through a mutual friend right mhm our uh, our boy Jesse Jesse James comics if you want to find him on Twitter, on uh, Instagram Jesse introduced us to each other cuz he cuz I met Jesse through Brad from Comic Book Couples Counseling and it just kind of was this chain reaction and Jesse was like, you guys need to meet Eamon. His art is crazy. <laughs> and then, I'm not kidding, maybe like three minutes later, you walked up to the booth because we were all waiting for for Daniel Warren Johnson. Yeah, I mean, let's let's be honest. We all, that was our first stop that first day. Yes. And we all had our tickets and we were all sitting there, saw Jesse, and then it was like, everybody was there. Let's let's uh, meet each other while we're waiting for our, our sketches to be done. Yeah, and it it was super fun getting to know everybody there. I forget what what sketch did you get done by Daniel? I got a uh, Swamp Thing. Oh yeah, that makes sense. I actually. Yep, it is right there. Oh yeah. man, that's it's, so cool. Yeah, it's on the shelf. Yeah, he just that guy's amazing. I we can we can do a whole show just talking about him. Oh yeah, let's just do a spinoff podcast just of Daniel Warren Johnson. I talk about him almost every issue anyway. So and and he well. deserves it. I he mean. Does. I mean, so. just sitting there, that was half the fun that day of just like, what are you getting sketched and seeing it knock out? Because any character he does, he just nails it. He was on fire that day, though. Like he had energy and mm-hmm. like he would finish one sketch and then just boom, like ready for the next one. You could tell he was stoked with each work he was doing. There was there was something in the coffee that morning because he was he was jazzed on it. The Optimus Prime that I had him do for me is just killer yeah yeah. that thing is proudly shown on a shelf i have a whole i made a whole transformer shelf just so i could display that (laughs) the shrine yes it has become a shrine and the next thing going in there is going to be that uh transformers number one that's coming out literally this month as we're talking uh, the issue for transformers number one will actually have dropped just a few days before this issue of the podcast will be coming out so if any of our listeners 
for any reason have not picked up Transformers number one by Daniel Warren Johnson and Mike Spicer, do yourself a favor and go do it. I Oh, this issue's coming out after the embargo. I've read the issue. It is incredible. I've had it for a month and a half because Skybound <laughs> sent it to us, and I've been dying to talk about it. We all picked up the ash can yes. at uh, Comic-Con, and so that's it's been since July just holding that and being like, I have to wait till October to get this thing. Yes. And so excited for it. I won't get into the details, but that issue is incredible. The, the finishing panel is it, it sets the tone for what is coming and it is not what I expected. It wow. is wild. I know, yeah, I know this is his this is his pet project. This is what he's been dreaming of for a while and so I know he's just going to be bringing his A game. He always does. I mean, always. But this is going to be next level, I'm sure. Yeah, I, oh, I'm i so excited for where that series is going to be going. But, Eamon, I want you to tell our <laughs> listeners, uh, other than how much we both love Daniel Warren Johnson, a little bit about you and your artistic career as you've been going on in the comic scene. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Well, I was born in the cold winter of uh, 1991 in February. <clears throat> um and honestly, I've just been drawing ever since. It's one of those things like I've always, since I was a little kid, been drawing in one way or another. And people always ask, like, what do you want to do? And the easy answer was just, I want to make art. Didn't know in what shape or form. Um, and eventually kind of like found my love of comics and combined the two um, after college. and. It's funny because, so we're recording this, it's the end of September. Mm -hmm. um, this month marks a full year that I've been working as a comic artist in one way or another. So, Oh, that's awesome. Congratulations. Yeah, yeah. So we, one year done. And it's funny because like, I don't consider myself like broken in yet. I still think of myself as like outside, like trying to knock in and, and get my way. But it does feel like this gradual sort of like, building momentum with each project so each each one that comes along has just brought something new and just building those skills and always excited to see like where it leads the fact that it's been like full time for a year working mm -hmm. specifically on your art how do you feel like that's impacted your style or the way you approach art it's you know it's funny because like there was a long period of time before that where it was a chore um and just like looking at a blank page and just fighting it. And I don't know when it changed, but there was just a moment where I was like, you just, you, you don't stop caring, but you just got to be like, just do it. Just get yeah. it done. And ever since that moment, it has just been so freeing. Mm. And I have just been seeing like improvement with each piece. Um, it's kind of that mindset of like, we all want it to be the perfect piece and I'm air quoting because the audience can't see it, but you learn more from a finished piece than, you know, the quote unquote perfect piece that takes you, you know, twice as long. Um, Cause I've definitely, I'm working on a couple of things right now and I've, you know, looked at them and thought, Oh, I could have done this better, but it's like, I'll do it better on the next one. You know, we're, we're, we are our own worst critic or harshest critic. Absolutely. And that's not going to go away. So, but honestly, 
I'm just having fun with it. And that's the most important thing is each time I sit down, it's like, I get to do this. Like I get to draw this character today. And that's, that's a blast. The amount of fun you're having absolutely shows because everybody needs to be following you on social media and like your Instagram handle is just aim and winkle, right? Yeah. It was, yeah. It was very easy to get. I was surprised. <laughs> Yeah. So for our listeners, just so you know, we're going to put links to Eamon's socials in the show notes. But if you're just listening and while you're on your phone right here, look it up. So it's E-A-M-O-N-W-I-N-K-L-E. So at Eamon Winkle. I'm sure no one's ever misspelled your name ever, right? <laughs> it never happens. It's never been It's never been mispronounced. It's never been misspelled. Everyone gets it right on the first try every time. I, I feel like I really do need to hype up your artistic ability because as we're recording right here, every time I look to my right, I have this beautiful piece of Weapon X on my recording shelf. Oh. There are not many things on my recording station, but you were extremely kind. Uh, when we met up at San Diego Comic-Con earlier this year, you had you had a piece and you handed it to me. And I was we had talked about before about doing like a, like a quick sketch. Like something, like something very simple, right? And you hand me this incredibly detailed Weapon X with all these wires and mechanics and a full-on like background tree, snow on the ground. It is, I, I was blown away by this thing when you handed it to me. It was, it was one of those, the, anytime I do a piece and I know I have to give it away, there's always that moment of like, but do I have to like, do I have to give it away? Like there's yeah. part of me that's just like, but I, I want it, but no, it, it, it always makes me so happy to send out a piece and just to have knowing that it's, you know, it's in somebody's office or it's on somebody's wall that it's now part of a collection. So I'm so honored to see you sent me that picture of like it sitting on your mm -hmm. desk framed up. And uh, that just made me so happy. Well, it makes me happy every time I look at it. <laughs> Very grateful. Our patrons can get very excited because one of you are going to have the chance at winning a piece by Eamon. He has been incredibly kind and has offered to do another piece so that one of you can enjoy it and frame it and look at it and smile at it every day. And trust me, you want to win <laughs> this piece. You say that, but then I'm going to ship it out to you and then you're just going to tell the the listeners like, oh, it just so happened to stay on my desk. I'm sorry, everybody. The thing is, is I know that would happen, which is why I'm putting it in this issue of the show <laughs> to show that I cannot keep it. The one I have in my collection is Weapon X. I cannot have this next one. I'll take the one after that, the one that I'm sure I'll pay you for. There, there are going to be plenty ahead, but yeah, this one's this one's for the people. Yes, it's on record, and I'm I will be. So excited to share that on our socials and with our patrons as soon as I get it in my hands. You can very much look forward to incredible work from Eamon. Now, uh, that also brings us to that we really got to hang out a lot more at San Diego Comic-Con earlier this year. And right. we, we got to go out on the floor. We went and got to look at all of the incredible work that you had in the art show, which was amazing. And one of those pieces in particular is like tangentially aligned with what we're talking about today with a Gotham yeah, yeah. by Gaslight piece, which was stellar. 
as well. What do you feel like was the most fun you had at San Diego Comic-Con earlier this year? Like what was, what was, what was the moment that really was like, this con was made at this point? You know, it's hard to say like one moment. Um, to me, it was just the, the entire con, just the all Wednesday to Sunday, um, start to finish was just amazing. It was a great year. It was, it was phenomenal. I actually hadn't been to San Diego since 2004. Um, so it's almost like 20 years later. And honestly, it wasn't, I'm sure it was because of the strikes and everything. It wasn't super busy. Like no. I had no problem getting to see the things I wanted to see or picking up the things I wanted to pick up. So um, it just felt like a really great year. Got to meet a ton of people. Um, including Mike Mignola and Todd McFarlane. Um, yeah, it was just start to finish. I was just having a blast. It was one of those times where it's like, I didn't want it to end. Like, why yeah. do we have to leave? Let's just mm -hmm. stay and, and hang out. Yeah, it was, it was great. Was there, was there like a highlight for you? Cause like you said, even just leaving the con and like going to the Junji Ito gallery yes. next door, going to the art show next door. And then just like, going to lunch was just so great. That was a really fun day. Yeah. Just going and checking everything out because for listeners at San Diego Comic-Con, there was a Junji Ito exhibit where you got to see all this original art. And I had, I have seen their art before, but I have, haven't read through any of their work, which I am very excited about finding. I'm trying to, I'm trying to go to my used bookstore and see if I can find anything, but I'm probably just going oh, yeah, yeah. to buy it online or maybe one of my LCSs will have a few things from them. But it was so cool because you had had so much experience reading their stories and studying their art that I kind of got a lesson in how the art w was like, I, I want to say developed, but like the, the certain techniques that were used in that art. So it was really a, a great learning experience for me, but just a really fun time to, to see like a master of the craft. Oh yeah. Uh, just go all out. Cause some of those pieces are like seared into my brain and are never leaving. And you know, that's the right way to describe Junji Ito's work is just, it hits a, just some place of your brain that it just goes like, this is terrifying. And it just doesn't leave. Um, but you can't look away. Yeah. Like just the attention to detail that he puts in everything. That was the astonishing thing about, all those pieces like he gives the same amount of detail to his figures as he does like a piece of wood just piece of debris on the ground like it's it's amazing we we actually still have i i took an extra one of the booklets from that and i still need to do a giveaway for that for for our listeners too there's another actually, one of that. yeah you have yours yeah there you go i, I have, have yeah it's, it's uh, so good yeah that was uh and especially like his stuff because it never it never really travels like you didn't you don't really like see that kind of work outside of Japan um, like you see it in the book form but like to see it life size and see the white out yeah. on the pages was yeah I love those kind of moments yeah it was it was incredible to see all that work up close but what you asked me as far as like that that moment that was like the highlight of the con I'm not yeah, yeah. I'm not kidding the highlight of the con was when you handed me the weapon X piece oh what an honor like I was in shock by that piece. Yeah, it was um that was actually the first weapon X I ever did. 
uh, I, looking at it, that d- makes no sense in my brain. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like there was a lot of cool things that we got that I got to do at San Diego Comic Con, like getting to go to the Energon panel, getting the the ash can for tra- we we both got the Transformers one ash can, yeah. uh, which was really amazing. I I think out of everything, it was it was literally just that that exchange that we had, and like that that whole day was just an absolute blast, and I am excited to recreate that at an upcoming con together oh yeah because uh i'm pretty sure you're going to WonderCon too right always that that has been that has been the con i've been going to since i was a kid um when it used to be held up in the bay area that's when i started going there and so definitely we'll be going back we can look forward to hanging out again at WonderCon. But I think almost 20 minutes into this episode, <laughs> maybe we should talk about the actual subject of this issue. Daniel Warren Johnson and why is he so great? <laughs> when, when we were talking at San Diego Comic-Con, so we were, we were out to lunch, and I think we had started talking about you coming on to for an, for an episode of Combo Keepers. I asked you, like, what, what story... Or what character would you like to cover? Or if there's a what if, Elseworld, Interpublisher, like what would you want to cover? And you said, what? I said Batman Red Rain. That, that is always my go-to. Batman and Dracula Red Rain. Yeah. As soon as you told me about the story, which I had, I had seen the hardcover of all three of the various vampire Batman stories together. Right. But I had never seen the single copy of Batman and Dracula Red Rain before until after we hung out, I walked back into the floor, not kidding. The first table I look at, you know, like all of the different tables, they always have short boxes, long boxes, and you flip through and you find stuff. Oh yeah. yeah. The table I found this at literally just had comics strung out across their table in no order whatsoever. And I look down, I move one book out of the way, and Batman and Dracula Red Rain <laughs> was staring at me in the face. So I knew it was fate that we had to cover it on an episode. I I went and bought 20 copies and planted them at every table I could find, hoping <laughs> one would fall into your hands. So my plan worked. I mean, that's commitment. <laughs> it worked. <laughs> Got it done. Uh, but Eamon, I want you... To, to let our listeners know why you chose this particular issue. This book, it has a special place in my heart because um, I had read comics before this. Uh, my cousin Skylar, who was kind of the older brother figure to me, he was the one who was like, hey, you should, you know, you watch Batman the man- animated series. Why not check out the comic books? And so he was showing me, this was the 90s. And so there were things like, you know, the Nightfall saga for Batman going on, uh, Superman Doomsday, Jim Lee's run on X-Men. And it was like, they don't do this in the comic or in the cartoons. Like, this is incredible. But there was one night he showed me his copy of Red Rain. And he was like, Don't, don't, don't tell your parents that I let you read this. <laughs> and I remember like flipping through it and just being like, oh my God, like. This is incredible. Like the artwork is amazing. It was the first book that just made a memory like in my, in my life. And, uh, immediately was like, okay, Kelly Jones is an artist to connect to as far as like style and 
just somebody that like I want to follow for the rest of my life. It honestly like that's kind of where the love and obsession with comics kind of came from was this book. Like this is what started this whole thing. I remember I tried to find them. I don't know where they are, but I had sketchbooks when I was a kid having just read this trying to redraw like some of those like iconic images. It keeps coming back to this book. Like this is the start of the journey for me. Well, I think that's very fitting then that that is the book that we we're talking about here. I wanted to get into how this issue even came to be. And there was some really cool things that I came across. One being the fact that this issue is only the second book ever to have the Elseworlds logo on it. Eamon, you can tell our listeners this. What's the first book to be considered an Elseworld? So the first uh, Elseworld is Gotham by Gaslight. Yes. But they did it retroactively because when it first was published, it, there was no Elseworld print. And afterward, they were like, wow, this is a really cool story. Let's do more of just these absolutely crazy stories that have no place in the canon. And so they created the Elseworld label. In 1989, Gotham by Gaslight was released, and it was written by Brian Augustine and drawn by the iconic Mike Mignola. And it was so popular, Elseworld spawned out of this comic. And even though it does not have that logo, it is considered the first Elseworld. Now, the first Elseworld story that actually did have the Elseworld logo is Batman Holy Terror. Batman and Dracula Red Rain only came out a few months after Holy Terror. We're talking about the second issue to ever be in an, an Elseworld. So it's very fitting that that is the first Elseworld story that we're ever talking about on the show. Along that same line, Batman and Dracula, the this trilogy of stories, because we're just talking about the first one today, so Red Rain, but this trilogy are among the most popular Elseworlds titles, period. It's funny because like, Obviously, Batman has sort of some origins with Dracula, just the whole like creature of the night sort of thing. And so there had been stories probably back in like the 60s and 70s. I vaguely recall of like Batman kind of going up against Dracula. But of course, it's like the Bella Lugosi sort of style Dracula. And it's very like Neil Adams sort of cartoonish, like it's very colorful and everything it's not very serious this is like very tonally different just the tone in general of the story is very uh like menacing and oh how do you how would you even describe it the the best i can do is it's batman in a hammer horror movie yeah yep that's very like, fitting yeah there's still like a little bit of kind of goofiness in it like some of the lines in it are like really hammy Yes, but at at its core, like the artwork is like gruesome and terrifying, and it just yeah, it all just works so well. And it's also very elongated. There are a lot of things that are just stretched out, whether that's Batman's ears or people's necks. Oh yeah, silhouettes. Everything is just stretched out, and it 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 lines perfectly with like the creepy nature of keeping a Dracula story flowing with Batman. Batman and Dracula Red Rain was written by Doug Mensch, penciled by Kelly Jones, inked by Malcolm Jones III, 
Colorist is Les Dorscheid. I am horrible with pronouncing names, so I thoroughly apologize to that individual. And lettered by Todd Klein. This story is bonkers. <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, I, I had a blast reading it because I love weird stories. I was obsessed with What If comics growing up. And when I found out about like interpublisher crossovers with Amalgam and just like Batman or or Marvel versus DC, I was all in. We had a full on conversation at WonderCon about the weird crossovers. You so like I had the exact same situation tangent. Um, You brought up Bat-Thing at WonderCon. And literally, same thing, went to a booth and the guy had it in his stacks and I picked <laughs> it up. It was just, it was the weirdest, like, it, this, I had to pick it up. It was like divine intervention. I didn't know that. That's amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, I forgot to tell you. No, because you literally mentioned it to me and I was like, oh, I got to go try to find it. Literally like two <laughs> panels down. Some guy just, he just had it. Okay. So with that same line of thinking then. I need to tell you about this book called Giant Size X-Men number one. <laughs> so apparently now you're going to find it for a very good price the next, I within so. the next week. <laughs> I'll go to my local shop and uh, who knows, maybe they don't know what they have. Yeah, there you go. So you need to tell me about ASM number one. Now that's how this works. <laughs> and then we can both <laughs> be very happy. Yes. So a little bit more about the creation of the story. Penciler Kelly Jones talked about how Red Rain was produced after he finished Dead Man Love After Death, which very much impressed Denny O'Neill, who at the time was editor of the Batman family realm of comic books. And Denny is no longer with us. He's a super nice guy. Got to meet him a few years before he passed away. I actually have his signature on the Batman... A Punisher crossover. There you uh, go. So th- that Marvel DC crossover, I had him sign it. So yeah, I'm so happy to have that book. O'Neill wanted to use Jones's art for a Batman book and had been talking to, to Doug Mensch about also working on a Batman title. Mensch just happened to also be a fan of Jones's work. Mensch contacted Jones and told him about the concept for this particular Elseworlds about Batman fighting Count Dracula. Jones uh, initially thought it was, quote, the dumbest thing he had ever heard, uh, (laughs) but changed his mind after Mensch sent him an outline for it, which Jones then called, quote, out of the park wonderful. So it is amazing how a a concept can be presented. But if you are a good enough creative, a writer, and you can weave a story, it can go from being the dumbest thing you have ever heard to being something that you absolutely need to be a part of. 100%. And I mean, if, you know, it is one of those things, if you had given it to a different artist, um, and I'm trying to think of like at the time, like, I want to say Jim Aparo was doing the Batman, like Detective Comics. Um, If you'd given it to him, it wouldn't have it wouldn't have done it. It would have felt like hokey and, you know, but giving it to somebody like Kelly Jones, who I don't know if you've read the dead man series that they did. Mm, I haven't give it, take a look. Cause there's yeah. a lot of, yeah, the, the artwork in that you can definitely see how it leads into red rain and the whole vampire saga. That is, that's a title that I've been wanting to read for a long time. I, I really like the character. So I definitely want to get more into them. That was my introduction to Dead Man. And so to go from 
Kelly Jones who draws dead man like a corpse. Like he's just this rib cage out spine protruding to go from that to the Neil Adams version. I was almost like, Oh, that's kind of, <laughs> it's not just, a letdown, but it was just kind of like, Oh, he's just a guy. Yeah. To me, dead man is, I appreciate the, uh, the corpse. Yeah. I think we can all appreciate a good corpse in comics. Yeah. Did you know that Red Rain wasn't the original title for this book? I did not. Yeah. It was originally titled Glory in Scarlet. <laughs> I, you know, I'm glad they went with Red Rain. Agreed. I think it's a pretty good title. I do have to say the sequel title yes. is a very, very 90s sounding book. Absolutely. Uh, and we're going to get to that in a second because <laughs> <laughs> we need to talk about that. It took Mench and Jones about five months to produce Red Rain. They actually used somewhat of a Marvel method for its creation. So Mench provided Jones a plot description of each page, a few lines of dialogue and scattered about. And then Malcolm Jones would then ink the pages. Mench and Jones originally envisioned Red Rain as a one shot, but it sold so well that DC commissioned them to produce a sequel which is called one of the most 90s things ever, Batman Bloodstorm. <laughs> I think, I think that wasn't that an image character? It's absolutely an image character. A hundred percent. With pouches. Yep. All of the pouches filled with syringes of blood. <laughs> the stories didn't stop there because once again, Batman Bloodstorm sold very well, surprisingly well, in fact, that a third book in the series came about called Batman Crimson Mist. I'm not going to lie. I really dig that title. So have you have you taken a look at that one as far as like the interior pages? I haven't because I am now on the hunt for the hardcover of the trilogy together. Okay. Um, I won't spoil it for you, but um, if you thought this one was bonkers, just prepare yourself. I love it. I'm so excited. That just made me more excited for it. <laughs> uh, and the funny thing is, is that uh, Mention Jones didn't even think there was going to be a third book. They because they were both working on ongoing Batman titles at the time. So they're like, of course, yeah. they're not going to ask us to do another Elseworld story. No, no. Like they're selling way too well. You need to do another one. And I want to say I want to say the third came a few years later. Yeah. Like there was a there mm -hmm. was a space in time when these ones came out there was like a six year gap between like all of the books like so not a six year gap between each one but there was i think the final one came out in 98 i want to uh, say 99 99 okay and then 99 and then red rain came out in what 92 92 yep there you go yep so that like a pretty good spread but for getting a complete trilogy with the story, that's that's pretty nice. A, a collected edition comprising all three of the books called Tales of the Multiverse Batman Vampire was released in December of 2007. But since that time, there have been other other printings of these stories together, which you can find a wide variety of them at a variety of prices as well, because some of them are far more sought after than others. Do you have the trilogy or do you have the singles? So you know what? I have... I have them in front of me. I have the Red Rain. This is the copy I had since I was a kid. Amazing. Um, I do have the hard cover of Red Rain. I have the hard cover of Bloodstorm. I don't know where it is. I just realized today it's not on my shelf. Uh -oh. So I'm kind of like not fretting, but like not calling the cops yet because it's got to be somewhere around here. But um, 
I do have them all separately. Okay. Gotcha. Yeah. Nice. I think, I think I like, I am forever keeping this copy, but I do want to get that hardcover together. I, I really like the cover on it. Oh yeah. And they, I like the covers on them because they all kind of have, you'd think it's like a big blowout cover. It's this tiny little like inset on the center of just this tiny little Batman, but there's so much detail in all three of them. I love what they did with them. You don't see stuff like that printed today where you want to have like the art as big as possible, but the use of text and like the varying fonts that they use and the, the wooden stakes or teeth that, that are like all over this page. We'll say both. Cause it probably be both. needs to be both. It's just so unique and iconic and it jumps out at you when you come across it, which makes it far easier to find when you're looking at a table of jum- jumbled comics and you actually come across it. Yes. It, it definitely stands out to me. When I read this book, cause this is the first time I've ever read this story. I had two thoughts. One of those was, wow, they made this a sensual Batman story. (laughs) And it was only made more sensual by the fact that there's an introduction by Eric Van Lusbader, who drives home the point about Batman's eroticism within the introduction. Multiple times he talks about Batman being erotic. Yeah, you know, I was reading it. I reread it today to prep for this, this show. There was that like initial moment of like, I, re- I read this when I was a kid, like, <laughs> and I, I, I don't know how old I'm going to guess 10 and I might be overshooting it, but like the first page, if I may open to it is a, um, a woman of the night yes. greeting Dracula and then becoming his victim. There is no doubt that's what she is. And yet me as a kid, it was like, oh, okay. This is just some lady who's attacked by Dracula. Yeah. It's a good thing my parents did not know about this book. <laughs> yeah. Or comics may not have been my trajectory. Obviously have lingerie dressing uh, women of the night in the mm-hmm. very first panel, really, of this book. And uh, so, you know, hyping up the erotic side of Batman. And then, like, there's women that are turning into mist over Batman and his bed. And it's it's very interesting. You know, and that's, I'm flipping through it right now. We literally go from Lady of the Night immediately to Mist Woman yes. coming into Bruce Wayne's window. That's the beginning of the book. Yeah, there's some very suggestive posing <laughs> of Bruce in bed as well. You know, yeah. Um, <laughs> it was, you know, it was the late 80s, 90s. We'll, we'll take thing, it. You know. Yeah, it's it's fine. Bloodstorm. <laughs> yeah. Everyone was doing it. Everyone was doing it. My second thought was there. there's a very big problem with this book today. Because, Eamon, they don't teach cursive in school anymore. So, I'm so glad you brought it up. Um, major shout out to the letterer, um, yes. Todd Klein. Literally, I all of Bruce Wayne's inner monologue. And there's a lot of it. A lot is in cursive like (laughs) this and this is not digital lettering people this is hand hand done kudos to him because it's beautiful 
but uh, I'm so sorry to the younger crowd who won't know how to decipher this book. Sorry, youngsters. You'll just have to look at the images of misting women above Bruce Wayne in bed, uh, but you're not going to have an idea what Batman is thinking throughout this entire story. I mean, as we all know, like a good a good comic, you don't need the words to know what's going on. You can do it based on the artwork. That's true. Yeah, do your best. Yep, good luck. Maybe Google Translate <laughs> will get a little bit better and you can just take your phone and take a picture of it and it can tell you. But uh, let's dive straight into the story. So we'll talk about really like the main the main beats of this issue. So Eamon, you already mentioned it starts with A Lady of the Night and Dracula. Can you tell us how that exchange goes? Uh, it does not go well for her. She tries to, you know, tries to get some business. And then almost immediately he does the vampire thing. And um, they don't establish, you know, we don't know who this guy is. We just realize, oh, he's a vampire. The story just kind of takes off from there. Bruce has this weird encounter dream. Is it a dream with a mist woman? And yeah, there's just like these series of attacks all throughout Gotham of, you know, people of the street, homeless people, night workers, mysteriously vanishing and being attacked. So, of course, Batman has to investigate this and things begin to build. And it just becomes more and more of a horror story. Um, I think it starts with he finds who he thinks is the perpetrator. Right. Um, which he just thinks is a crazy woman. And then quickly realizes, wow, this woman who is like 90 pounds is stronger than anybody I've ever faced before and beat the crap out of it. So you realize, wait a minute, this is not just your average superhero story. This is something else. Yeah, it's really interesting because the the storyline starts with there there are these bodies of like the homeless and and people working at night just popping up all over. And at one point, mm -hmm. there's like 19 bodies that have shown up. But rather than being found and being like, oh, these puncture marks, all of their throats have been slashed. Yeah. So like the vampires that are doing these things because Dracula is going around. But the, in the storyline, you don't know that yet. But other individuals as well are draining victims at night and then slashing their throats to cover their bases. Right. Which, which leads Batman to show up in the scene and he finds this woman after having just attacked another person at night. He gets the crap beaten out of himself by this extremely skinny woman that should not be stronger than him. He goes into a, an alleyway that has been blocked off. There's nowhere to go, but she disappeared. And he realizes, oh, she must have gone down this grate. To which Batman then rips the grate from the ground, concrete and all, which lets you come to understand that not everything might be normal with Batman at the moment. Yeah, he's like casually ripping the doors off of his sedan. Yes. By complete. He's like, wow, this is that shouldn't have happened. And like casually like lifts up the car with one hand and he's like, OK, something strange. Batman's changing. We don't know what's going on, but he's, yeah, casually ripping steel out of concrete. Yeah, in his investigation, like, he goes down to Gotham sewers, which, of course, it's Gotham, so it's more of a catacomb than a sewer system. And there's just bodies. There's just, yeah. like, old, like, it's more of a crypt, like, stacks of, you know, corpses that begin to move and come alive. and they're these corpse-like vampires. That, that to me, there's this whole sequence. 
that whole sequence is so beautifully drawn. Yeah, I agree. I mean, it's it's horrifying, but like just the anatomy and like the detail of all these like vampiric corpses as Batman's like throwing them off of himself is so, so great. Yeah, it, it's really interesting because they they set this the standard in the story where the vampires that are in the sewers that have not been able to come out and feed are these like decrepit falling apart, like skin and bones. But then you get a few other vampires that look very healthy and strong because they're the ones that are going out and feeding. Uh, So of course, when Batman gets into the sewer, they they're like, Ooh, a meal. So they start to come out of this weird body ball of bones and skin to try and attack him. You also find out that Dracula is also down in this sewer as well with all these bodies. Dracula puts the smack down on Batman. Yeah, there's a great um, Batman being who he is immediately kind of recognizes like who this guy is like, okay, this is Dracula. So Dracula, I think like slashes him across the chest to draw blood and Batman being who he is uses his own blood and like paints a cross on the wall as both a like come and get it because he's drawn to it but also he can't go near it because that is a symbol that will cause him pain and so it's this stalemate for hours just them sitting in the sewers waiting for one of them to fail and then dawn comes and drives him away that felt like the most batman thing of this entire book oh yeah it's like he knows he can't win but in like a, in a actual fight, but he can at least stall him to get away while they're down in the sewer. Lo and behold, uh, a group of other vampires show up and start attacking the vampires that are aligned with Dracula. And you are introduced to the, the mist woman that has been showing up in Bruce's room (laughs) at night. And that's Tanya. She's real. It's not a dream, not a dream. So Tanya then starts to to help Batman. They they want to align to be able to take out Dracula as well as all of his followers because Tanya and her group of vampires have uh, turned more to drinking the blood of animals and trying to do away with the the evil vampires because the whole premise of this book early on, you even say like, are all vampires evil? It's like, no, there are some that are good. At that point, you then get Tanya and Bruce wanting to talk with Commissioner Gordon to let him know really what's going on in the city and that they need to start doing doing more. Like they're trying to figure out how to defeat Dracula, but also trying to protect as many people of Gotham as they possibly can. That that is a great scene because it's played straight. Like here's and obviously like it's played as straight as you can be in a Batman comic. Because here's Batman saying, like, oh yeah. Vampires are real, and Commissioner Gordon's just going, okay, you've completely lost it. You've gone off the deep end. I don't know who this woman is. I don't believe any of this. So Tanya attacks Commissioner Gordon and him reflexively shooting her to no, no effect. And this is all to prove her point. Vampires exist. We can't be killed that way. Now, now Gordon's on their side. Now he's believing it. Gordon is absolutely like, all right, well, I just shot you three times and uh, it filled in immediately. So I guess, uh, I guess vampires are real. He then goes 
to talk to the mayor to basically say, like, we need to do more about what's going on. Gordon is immediately abducted by Dracula. <laughs> it's, you know, as serious as this book is, it's very cartoony. I mean, yeah. it's almost that. I laughed at that today when I was rereading it, where they're like, okay, we'll go our separate ways. Batman and Tanya, we have a plan that we're going to do. Gordon, you go talk to the mayor. And literally in the background is this huge bat silhouette and Dracula just kind of hanging out because he's listened in on this whole thing and immediately kidnaps Gordon. It's, I, I'm not going to lie. I laughed when it happened. It was, it was amazing. <laughs> I mean, it, it is very, that part is very humorous. Now that Gordon has been abducted, uh, very quickly after the conversation between Tanya, Gordon, and Bruce, Bruce starts to like fall to the ground because he's still really weak after the attack with Dracula. Like a few panels later, Bruce is waking up and he's getting a blood transfusion from Tanya. We'll get into what vampire blood transfusions does to an individual, but he wakes up and she immediately says, oh, by the way, Dracula kidnapped your friend. And Bruce loses his mind because why, Eamon? So immediately, of course, Bruce, Bruce's friend, first person he thinks of is Alfred. And so jumps out of bed, literally breaks through a door. Like Kool-Aid man. Like, I mean, shatters. Door is gone. And uh, Alfred's fine. He's right there. What's wrong? What's wrong, Bruce? What's going on? And at that very moment, here come three vampires through the window. It is a Bruce in his in his underwear versus three vampires in Wayne Manor. Yeah, he he breaks a chair and which turns the legs into stakes and the dialogue at this point I laughed at so hard. It is exact so that's why I say it's it's a hammer horror Batman because he fully looks at this broken chair and acknowledges, "Oh, there's four legs." There's three vampires, stakes all three of them and goes, you know, more than enough or something like has yes. has a one liner in this super serious book. That's the beauty of it is it's like this book takes itself seriously, but at the same time, like it's giving that heavy wink of like, yeah, this is this is a comic. We're not we're not taking this seriously at all. Like this is an absurd story. The thing that kind of threw me off about those lines too was the fact that in reality you really only need one stake to kill three vampires you know and you also it's funny that you know there's always that part of me that it's like well in reality you wouldn't do that it's like in reality you wouldn't be fighting vampires but um (laughs) in yeah i don't think i would look at a chair and go oh four there's three of you guys perfect but of course this is a comic book you need to have kind of that hammy sort of dialogue and and just poke fun at it. And at this point now that the three vampires that have come into Bruce's home have been dispensed, he basically tells Alfred, hey, we're putting into effect that plan we talked about. Alfred's like, I thought you were delirious. We're actually doing this plan. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, this whole time, Alfred's just kind of like, he's been there. He's just been cleaning Wayne Manor. He didn't know. He didn't know about the vampire threat. He's just kind of like, okay, Bruce, like, you do your thing, whatever, up until this point, like until they're in the house with him, he's like, oh, you were serious. 
this leads us to kind of the, the final showdown of everything that's going on. Bruce meets up with the vampires and he's like starting to lure them into the caves like of the bat cave uh, dracula tells uh gordon in this monologue about how the blood of gotham is polluted which is why it's driving him crazy because he usually doesn't go out of his way and he doesn't make all these mistakes and get caught and he said that like the blood of gotham is making me mad and this is what happens when i go mad i become a monster and he turns into like this gigantic bat creature i do like that moment because it does kind of play on this whole idea that like gotham is this kind of cursed eldrick location that creates these sort of monsters like obviously batman rogues gallery and so what happens when you introduce an actual monster into this environment he just kind of is more like magnified like his monstrous self can't even be contained in a human form anymore so what is he going to be he's going to be a giant bat creature it looks wild <laughs> oh kelly jones deserves all the awards for for those images alone just phenomenal the plan is they're luring all the vampires into the bat cave because they have put explosives all throughout the bat cave in a particular place so that when they enter there the light will come through as they explode the walls and then all of the vampires will be killed in sunlight, which Tanya and her vampires have already said that they are willing to sacrifice themselves in order to t take out the remaining vampire scourge that is in Gotham. Tanya and her crew sacrifice themselves. There's even a point where is there's a standoff. All the vampires are dead except Tanya and one rogue vampire and they're standing in the shadows and he's calling her bluff saying like you can't get me because you'll have to go in the sunlight and she's like that's not a problem drags him in and they jo both just combust she's happy to do it because now this inner turmoil of her fighting her vampiric nature is gone as far as they're concerned all the vampires in gotham are now gone except for dracula himself yeah, they do that. They sacrifice themselves, and they don't even take out the big bad. Nope. But, you know, it's it's one of those, that wasn't the point, because, of course, we have to leave the big bad for Batman himself. He has yeah. to be the one to do it. And another choice that is absolutely absurd at this point in the comic, though. <laughs> so they've, they've lit off the explosives to allow the walls to come down enough so light comes in to kill the vampires. And... Then Bruce gets into this like metal shell coffin looking thing and he explodes the rest of the house. He blows up Wayne Manor. His reasoning to <laughs> Alfred is like, well, Tanya and all of the other good vampires sacrifice themselves. So I should sacrifice the. I can at least sacrifice the house. Yeah, they sacrifice their lives. The least we could do is sacrifice the house. And Alfred's like, yeah, but all the memories and it's like. <laughs> Um, I do I do need to point out that just the absurdity of Bruce basically pulling the Indiana Jones and climbing in the refrigerator to escape the blast. Yes. It's as absurd as it sounds. And then he just walks away, just gets out of the, the metal shell and just walks out of there like nothing happened. I, I was like trying to put myself in the mindset of like Tanya. Why did you blow up the gigantic house? Like, why would she care? Like, she's already gone. 
I mean, I guess, I guess, you know, Bruce didn't know all the vampires were dead at this point. So it's like, okay, we have to, so that it's just make sure they're all gone. But yeah, it is an interesting sort of like, you didn't have to do that. No, not at all. There's also a very like (laughs) melodramatic moment. The house is blown up. It's basically a giant crater. Bruce gets out. He looks back and just starts like, like tears streaming down his face, like goodbye, goodbye, Tanya. And it's like, okay, okay, mm-hmm. Bruce, we have. <laughs> you didn't know her that well, right? Like, yes, she sacrificed her life uh, for the good of Gotham, but it's the hokiness of the whole thing, right? Well, we find out that Tanya gave Bruce a couple of things, and those couple of things are wings. It's revealed that Bruce now has full-on gigantic bat wings protruding from his back. And they've kind of been, throughout the story, they've been building to it. Um, So that's that's what we find out. Tanya, in her misty uh, meetings with Bruce, has been actually feeding it on his blood to kind of give him, that's where he's getting his strength because he's slowly getting the vampiric powers and throughout it, Bruce is like asking people like Alfred and some doctor like, hey, is there something wrong with my back? And everybody's <laughs> reacting with like shock, like, oh, my goodness, what's going on? But they don't they don't establish what's going on until the very end where it's like, oh, he has bat wings. So all I can think of is like throughout this story, Bruce is just growing these little like bat appendages and everybody's like, buddy, what's wrong with you? Like, what's going on? You can't explain that away until at the very end. It's just, yep, I have wings now. They exponentially grow because it goes from being like, is that a third nipple to, oh my gosh, like what is <laughs> going on right now? Oh, it's uh comic books. Gotta love it. They're like, well, now we need to go after Dracula. And, and uh, Alfred is like, but sir, like everything's been destroyed. You don't even have the Batmobile anymore. It's like, <laughs> we don't have a car anymore. <laughs> I don't need the Batmobile. I have wings. And then he literally becomes the Batman. Yep. Flies towards <laughs> the final confrontation with Dracula. But Alfred also follows along because he go, he's like, well, there's still a car left in the garage. So he goes and gets like the Mercedes and starts driving to follow. And as a, as a fun little throwaway, it's the same Mercedes that Bruce ripped the door off of. And Alfred does acknowledge that he's like, no, we still have the Mercedes. It's missing a door. And it's just that brick joke of like, oh, yeah, it's that car. Find out that Dracula is now commanding all of the bats in Gotham because he no longer has vampires to command. They say that he's in the gaudy building. Like, I didn't understand if they meant there's just a gaudy building, gaudy looking (laughs) building in Gotham or if there is an actual building called the gaudy building in Gotham. There there is just, yeah, there's just a weird Dracula-esque castle slash tower in the middle of Gotham. And I mean, it's Gotham. So like all the towers and buildings are kind of Gothic and vampiric. This is straight up. Like Dracula just moved it over from Transylvania. Like there is no modern look to it. It's just a old, I assume it's an old bell tower, Mm -hmm. but yeah, you're looking at that going like, yeah, of course Dracula's in that tower. Like where else would he be? (laughs) Yeah. Where, where else would he be? Oh, All it was missing was just a big neon sign saying, like, he's here. (laughs) And and so we finally get the rematch between Batman and Dracula. But this time, 
Batman has silver batterings ready to go <laughs> up against Dracula. And wings. Can't and forget wings. those. They they disappear only to reappear at a moment when Dracula takes to the skies to escape. And Bruce is like, oh, guess what? You're not safe in the skies anymore because I have wings too. And all the while, Alfred is driving right behind them, keeping up with them in his broken Mercedes. And, and Commissioner Gordon has to watch Batman jump out of the window. He's like, oh, no, you're going to fall. And then, boom, wings <laughs> pop out. And Gordon's like, what the hell is happening right now? It's, yeah. I mean, Gordon's just, oh, he has, he has wings. And then it's just cut to the next scene. Like, Gordon's fine. He'll get down from the tower eventually. We have bigger things to deal with. And impossibly one of the wildest scenarios. So as there are this mid-flight battle between Dracula and Batman, lightning strikes a telephone pole, rending it in half. So now there mm-hmm. is a, a gigantic spike now on the ground to which Batman jumps on top of Dracula, forcing him down to the ground and pierces him through the heart. They say it's through the heart. It's basically his entire torso. Yeah. It, well, when you have a, <laughs> a stake that big, you can yeah. kind of hard to miss the heart. It's, it's overkill while they're falling and Bruce is like driving him down. Dracula has latched on to Bruce and is draining his blood. And so it's kind of this, like kind of this stalemate of like, we're both going to, we're both going to die. Bruce at the last minute throws Dracula down, pierces his entire body and disintegrates Bruce. It's kind of this, like we did it. We saved the day. Alfred pulls up in the Mercedes and Bruce, I think he even says in his dialogue, like, I feel like I'm dying and then just yeah. collapses. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then we get the no from Alfred, like, <laughs> like full on panels. Alfred's neck turns a full on 90 degrees It is now parallel with the sky. It's just a flat panel. You can't even see his neck. It's just like his face is coming out of the ground. No, you need that yeah. moment. You do. You do. And I, I like the fact that you mentioned that it felt like overkill killing Dracula. Batman has been overkill this entire issue. Overkill destroying Wayne Manor. Overkill yep. killing Dracula. Just, oh man, he he's doing a lot. This book is all about exaggeration. It's exaggeration of like even Batman himself. You brought it up earlier. His ears are about three feet long. Yep. Like Batman stands about nine feet tall. Three feet of that is just his ears. His cape grows from panel to panel. It's either 20 feet long, like a wedding train, or it's just long enough that it covers his his body. But it totally works. Uh, Yeah, it absolutely does. It's very much like a spawn cape throughout this entire issue. This story ends with you thinking Batman is dead. Yes. You have Alfred at a cemetery giving his speech, which we've heard in many a time from Alfred's of, I failed you. I'm so sorry, Bruce, all these things. (laughs) He leaves the grave. He goes to the other residence, which he has been building up. And lo and behold, Batman is there, but Mm -hmm. basically saying Bruce Wayne is dead and Batman is going to live. And not all vampires are evil and showing a Batman with vampire teeth. End of book. Yes. So yeah, so the whole thing is, Throughout the story, Bruce has kind of been, he's, he has the vampire powers, but he's not fully turned. 
Um, and they like kind of specify Tanya drinks only enough of his blood to give him the benefits without the curse. But Dracula drains everything. So now he's just, he's full vampire, full vampire Batman, which takes us to Bloodstorm in all of its <laughs> 90s glory, just kind of plays, continues that sort of, that sort of story. Like we mentioned, so there's, there's Red Rain, Bloodstorm, Crimson Mist, and we're going to have to cover those other particular issues <laughs> on another episode because we need to continue this, this through line. Let me, and again, let me tell you, if you thought this one was even just listening to it is kooky and crazy, oh, just prepare yourself because <laughs> it only ups, ups itself. It escalates. It starts with Bloodstorm and it continues. Is there more eroticism? Oh, yes. I, it's all coming back. <laughs> oh, yeah. Blood, Bloodstorm. I'm going to let you read it. Let me know when you do, because yeah. you're, yeah. <laughs> gotcha. Now, now it's all coming back. To me. Yeah, I'm going to snag that hardcover. I'm going to read all of it. I can't believe I read this as a kid. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the traumas we uh, go through as children. I, I was just so excited about the Dracula thing. Like, wow, Dracula is a giant bat. I didn't notice any of the yeah. mm-hmm. eroticism. That just went over my head. So it says a lot about me. Right. He's like that. That lady needs to put on more clothes at night. It's cold yeah, in Gotham. Yeah, she's probably she's probably cold. Wow, <laughs> a giant bat creature. You know, you have something there to distract you. <laughs> Not only have there been the the sequel, so there is the trilogy of the Batman vampire or vampire Batman. There have also been other comics that have revisited this world. So really quickly, one that Jones returned to illustrate an actual story by Peter Johnson set in Batman Red Rain's universe. And that was in Infinite Halloween special number one, which came out in December of 2007. It was it was called Red Rain Bloodlust. And it actually told the story of a vampiric Batman brutally murdering Dick Grayson's parents and is narrated by the Mad Hatter. Just carries on that crazy zany storytelling. Uh, another one quickly was in Countdown to Final Crisis, so which is like around 2007-2008 era. So the series events are described as taking the 43rd alternate version of Earth in the DC Comics multiverse. Uh, and Johnson and Jones produced another story that features a team of superheroes traveling in this Earth 43 during a search for Ray Palmer. And they actually encounter multiple characters from the original Red Rain trilogy characters. The one that I think both of us are going to seek out maybe tomorrow is in 2015 during the Convergence comics, Len Wein and Kelly Jones produced a storyline in which Swamp Thing arrives in the world of Batman and Dracula and he meets vampire Batman and then they team up. I accidentally spoiled part of the story for myself reading about it, but oh my gosh, I need to read the story like now. I, I am ashamed that I didn't know about this. Like it hits like this book is obviously like one of one of my favorites. Swamp Thing is one of my favorites. And so I do not know how this went under my radar up until now. I don't know how it got past me with with Len Wein. Like, how did I not know this was a thing? We mentioned in 2015, Len Wein passed away in 2017. This was one of the last things like within the last two years of his life that he worked on. So I'm very interested to see how this book reads and looks 
very excited. Other things that involve this world are a 2005 animated film, The Batman vs. Dracula, which draws inspiration from Batman and Dracula trilogy, specifically the first two books, Red Rain and Bloodstorm. You can play as Vampire Batman in the 2013 video game Infinite Crisis. In 2013, Mattel released an action figure of the trilogy's version of Batman. And finally, in 2017, Mondo released a statue of a vampire Batman called Batman Red Rain, which, Eamon, what's that right behind you? Uh, is it this one? So that is the DC Direct figure that they did in Elseworld series. And one of them was... Uh, Vampire Batman. There you, there you go. So there there yeah. are multiple statues of yeah. this particular Batman, but that's very literally right behind the side of your head in this video is that particular statue. Like I said, this book holds a special place in my heart. And so had to pick that up when I was a kid, like they translated Jones's artwork into a full figure, like rib cage out, spines up, super long ears. It's it's great. I had an absolute blast reading this book. It's it's weird and hammy and campy at times, but man, there are some panels in here that just blew me away. It's so good. And it's hard to beat. Like Dracula versus Batman, like you're going to have fun. As as hammy and outrageous as it is, I just got to come back. Like Kelly Jones is one of my all-time favorites. And as 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 you pointed out at the beginning of this, that he just thought this story can't possibly work. He must have had a blast doing this because he just goes all out. Um, especially, yeah, them in the the midair fight, Dracula yes. in his beast form and Bruce just cape swirling, wings out. So great. I honestly really want to know if at this point in time with comics, like how much the the publisher would come back with like notes about what the way they would want things to look like. And if that were to be the case, I really want to know if Jones ever thought certain things wouldn't have gotten through that were in fact approved and then ended up in the book. Yeah. I'd be interested on that. Like I've, I had the opportunity to meet him a couple years ago and got to talk to him like about this book, like what this book meant to me and how it was just the catalyst for my career and just hearing him kind of talk about how, they weren't given like total creative freedom, but Danny O'Neill definitely like stuck up for them and was like, Oh no, these guys trust them. Like they will deliver something great to you. And it kind of started with dead man. They were kind of given a chance with dead man. And it's a very kind of like this one. It's a very strange book. You know, it's not, it's not for everybody. It, they just proved that both in writing and artwork, they can deliver a very good book oh, absolutely, and memorable. Oh, very much so. Like the images of this book are definitely going to stay with me. The, the elongated bodies. I'm pretty sure Batman has 27 ribs in his chest at you one know, point in this book. There's, there's that saying, um, when you're drawing, you learn anatomy so that you can break it. And this, this breaks it in so many ways. Yeah. People don't have 24 ribs or spines that like sit out two feet, um, but it looks cool. And it that's looks all great in a comic. 
Well, Eamon, I've had an absolute blast talking about this book with you, but I want our listeners to know, one, where they can find you, as well as, we talked about this before, that you have some upcoming work that we can't quite give details for, but give a little teaser if you can. So that's the beauty of of art and the industry is I do have things I've done that I'm super excited about, but they haven't been announced yet. And so it's that like, I want to just be shouting all these things, but I can't. I have a few covers coming out uh, for various books. I submitted a short story uh, with illustrations to an anthology. And so I'm waiting to hear back on that if it was uh, approved. I am excited to announce I am going from covers. I am jumping into sequentials. Amazing. With an eight pager. Can't say what yet, but <laughs> I, I guess what I can say is it's a creator owned IP character. Um, right. So, yeah, super excited. Yeah. In the meantime, just been doing my thing and just seeing what is coming up covers, illustrations, commissions. Um, Got a few really fun commissions coming up. And as much as I love doing like covers and projects, I love commissions because I just love seeing like what people want because half the time it's things I would never think up. Mm. And so it gives me an opportunity to draw characters I would never have thought of. And so it's like, it's a, a great challenge and just way too much fun. That's awesome. Why don't you let our listeners know where they can find you online, where they can follow and see your career continue to blossom because I really have never been more sure that someone was going to blow up in their career. So everyone needs to be oh, following you. you now because I, <laughs> I know for a fact that you're going to be going to some very cool places. Well, you can find me. We mentioned it earlier. My Instagram is at Eamon Winkle, E-A-M-O-N-W-I-N-K-L-E. I'm also that there's, there's all those ones like threads and blue sky same thing on there twitter i or x whatever it's always twitter to me yeah it's gonna be twitter you know i'm still on there it's not what it used to be nope but um i i refuse to leave based solely on my name because i'm that's my greatest accomplishment yep it's great um it's (laughs) it's at can i get an amen spelled spelled e-a-m-o-n the true brilliance of a creator you know 20 years from now, someone will ask me like, what, what is the thing you're most proud of? And that will, that joke will probably be still the number one thing that I said. Well, you see, before there was X, there was this thing called Twitter. <laughs> there was a thing called Twitter and it was great. And the bad man came and bought it and killed the bird and, and <laughs> turned it into a letter. And now and then, and that's and gone too, because it's X'd crap. out the eyes. And yeah, it's, it is sad because that was such a great community and where a lot yeah. of like, a lot of my work came from mm-hmm. and then it's just radio silence, but still there. I'm, I'm trying to post as much as I can there. It's also, that's, that's the other thing is um, on all my social medias. I haven't been able to post because I'm working on all these things I can't show. Mm. And it's that frustrating. Like my friend texted me the other day. He's like, dude, have you like, are you still working? Cause like, I haven't seen anything from you. And I was like, yes, I promise I am. I just, <laughs> Give me a couple of days. Let me finish some things and get approvals. I promise stuff is coming, which is, you know, it's a good problem to have, I guess. Right, right. And uh, I'm going to say this again. For those listening, I strongly suggest, even if you only sign up for a month, 
for our Patreon. You want a chance to win this upcoming piece from Amen. So go to patreon.com, type in comic book keepers. It's also in our show notes. Sign up for even if you want to do a month, go for it. It's five bucks. You get a whole bunch of extra content, download it all, and then you can be done. But seriously, you will not want to miss out on this giveaway. I I promise you. So you haven't seen it yet. It's, I haven't. It's it's almost finished. It goes with the theme of this episode, is what Amazing. I will say. Amazing. And uh, I will let you reveal it whenever you please, whenever you get it. But um, yes, it it goes in line with what we've been discussing today. Oh. I'm so excited to see it. Eamon, man, I just want to say this was an absolute blast. I, I'm so excited that we were able to hang out again in San Diego at Comic-Con. And I'm very much looking forward to WonderCon coming up in March. Yeah. And just just continuing this friendship because I, I really honestly, I'm very excited to see your career just blow up and truly deserve it. Because not only are you extremely talented, but you're just a really nice guy. Oh, thank you so much very looking forward to seeing where you go it's you know it's one of those things i you know it's kind of the humbleness of me like i don't think of myself as like growing as this artist and like getting this career but like i am so eternally grateful for the support from like people on instagram people who've bought my work people like yourself and jesse who have just you know you guys have like reached out to me and been like hey we talked to you to like so and so and they love your work really that is just immeasurably the nicest thing and just something i hold very dear so thank you so much just of for, for all of that yeah and i strongly recommend going out and reaching out to Eamon as well because if he has a commission list open you want to get on that commission list it's open pretty much whenever for now it's just kind of it, it's i i let people know like it's open but uh there's other things on the plate that i have to eat first but I don't forget. I have a great memory. In fact, um, mutual friend of ours, I've had a commission for him for quite a while, the Mega Man one. Right. And it's it's there. I haven't forgotten about it. It's just people keep throwing stuff on my plate, but they get chiseled out. Don't worry. I'm, I'm excited to see that too when it comes comes together. This has been an absolute blast, but it's time to close the book on Batman and Dracula Red Rain. So until next time, this is Lance. And this is Eamon. Reminding you to keep your friends close, but your comic books closer. Bloodstore. <laughs> Ha, 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 ha.